What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Big Facts No Cap, the only podcast that's number one with all of the Avengers except for Hawkeye, and all of the cartoon characters except for Popeye. I'm Adrian, as always, here with Paul. Let's get Big Factin', let's get No Cappin'. Big Facts No Cap Big Facts No Cap No Cap Big Facts No Cap Big Facts No Cap No Cap No cap. I wanted to quickly apologize if it sounds like uh, I started smoking like 10 packs a day since I got back to California. Uh, it, it's very uh, pollen heavy right now, and my throat has been like fucked for like the last two days since I've been back. No cap. Was, um, was going to the community pool in your neighborhood after hours, was that the most rebellious you got as a teen? <laughs> I feel like you know that one of the most rebellious I got as a team. Because <laughs> that's the one that made me the most nervous of all things that we did. <laughs> it was the one where we were most likely to be approached, because I feel like all the other yeah. rebellious things we did, we really uh, segregated away from adult society. Right. And that was one where people had like a real chip on their shoulder about kids using the pool after hours, and Ugh. they really wanted to like police that. So uh, yeah, I can see like why... Of the things we did, it was the most likely to have, like, a cop car or an adult pull yeah. up and try to, like, chastise us. A crazy neighbor with a plugged-in toaster coming at us. <laughs> they have, like, ten extension cords, <laughs> one after the other, and <laughs> they're just running as fast as they can, and when it, like, gets taut, they, like, fall. <laughs> Do you remember, I, maybe it wasn't with you, but it maybe I know Hunter was there, but the time we went to that pool, like, at one in the morning, a little bit. Uh, off some substances and there was just a guy mowing his lawn at one in the morning and i, I know the like, story but i don't i don't think i was there yeah I, it was just one of those things where it was like mm, we're both up to no good there's no reason for either of us to be doing this let's yeah, just but if yeah if that's the way you feel about it you both give each other a nod and just keep on moving <laughs> that's exactly what happened we both just kind of yeah, okay. made eye contact for a second looked away from each other we're like and we're not talking we're in our flip-flops and our pool attire <laughs> and you're mowing your lawn probably tweaked out of your mind <laughs> yeah that sounds uh sounds like an atlanta episode mm-hmm. donald glover really uh farmed a lot of stuff from my life for that show should be called lexington yeah paperboy based off me paul's all about his paperboy no, I made that song, and I sort of am, but I'm also, like, trying to keep it real, but the problem is that the industry is trying to change me into, like, a marketable figure. That's often been my, uh, my conflict. That's what's been holding this podcast down. <laughs> my refusal to take pictures with fans. Paul won't do that Skittles commercial they keep asking us to do. Mm-hmm. It's always this Mickey Mouse bullshit. <laughs> I say, you give me a Sprite commercial, and I want to direct it, like Tyler, hmm. the creator. I'm not going to settle for anything less. I'm only willing to do the real brands. Jack Link's Beef Jerky, hit me up. They have pretty good commercials. Do rappers work on those? They can. I don't see why. Um, this is one of those situations where uh, I don't need representation in my media to make me believe I can do something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. When Lil Yachty did that Target commercial, I was like, that's it. Now I know any BIPOC can do a Target commercial. I was really excited. Oh my god, it, it's, um, this will have to be off pop. At the time that, um, was telling me about how she was nervous about going camping with 
And then she was like, but then I like read a bunch of pages about like BIPOC people who go camping. And I was like, it, you're an adult. <laughs> like representation is important, but not for like 29 year old women. You should be able to realize that you can go camping. What is wrong with you? What did what? <laughs> Wait, we can't put that on pod. Are you sure? That's so funny. That I read a bunch of articles about BIPOC who have been camping. (laughs) (sighs) You know, Adrian, I thought it was really scary to, like, book my own dentist appointment and go to the dentist. Because, like, you know, they use those drills that make the loud noise inside of your Mm -hmm. teeth. But then Mm -hmm. I was online. I read a bunch of articles about BIPOC who'd been to the dentist. And I knew I could be brave enough to go. I don't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're cutting that too sorry that was just for you <laughs> that story was so ridiculous <laughs> just... so adrian how do you feel turning 28 i'm not turning 28 how do you feel turning 22 i don't know about you but i'm feeling 22 i think everything's gonna be all right i'm standing here next to you is that the last lyric i don't know the song i feel like we could probably guess better lyrics than are actually in the song Ooh, Paul, why do you want that smoke? Why, why you gotta keep it real like that, man? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> make it in this industry. <laughs> they keep trying to change me, man, but I keep falling back to my old ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. Should we talk about the controversy from Drake's episode? I don't know if there's multiple ones, but I know people thought the game was too hard. Mm, why? I, I mean, it was a purposefully difficult game, so I don't know. They, they didn't, it, it wasn't super follow alongable. You know what? This is, this reminds me of, like, I was watching Jeff Foxworthy's special. Of course. And I was taking a lot of lessons from that, and th- you bringing this up really kind of brought me back to a lot of, like, the interesting thoughts that were swirling through my head. I mean, I have to say, the thing about comedy specials is that it's like modern-day philosophy. It's not it even is. comedy at this point. It is. And he made this point in the special. I'd never heard it before, so it was really interesting to me. But it's like, this generation, man, they want everything to be easy. It's like they grew up getting... What participation trophies? Ugh. Couldn't be me. Now they just expect a trophy for not even winning? Like get better at the quiz if you think the quiz is too hard. Watch more TV. That's crazy, man. This generation's just like all they want is handouts. They want to be fed awards out of the palm of our hands. And it's just like I'm not mm. having it anymore. Everyone wants a gold star. Especially the families of dead troops. They're always trying to get themselves called gold star families. And I'm just like, no, no, no. Not a participation trophy for you. You're not a gold star family. You didn't go to war. Your dead son did. I like that people are probably going to get more pissed at me. I'm going to get more flack for that than Donald Trump did for calling a gold star family like a bunch of loser bitches. Or whatever he did when he was running for office. All I'm saying is, if your kid's on the honor roll... Hey, maybe put something about yourself on your car, bro. Maybe show off your own accomplishments. You know what Mm -hmm, I mean? mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Now that I've managed to alienate as many people as possible, should we get into the theme? Any media roundup or anything? Mm, No. All right. Cool. Uh, But a little Milan update. No No one thought we'd be first place at this point in the season. After a very disappointing tie with Bologna, we have And let now... me guess where this sentence is going, and we're still not first place. Everybody has been proven right. The haters are no. on point. No, no, no. We are first place, one point ahead of Napoli and Inter. Uh, we have, we're in the last seven-game stretch. It's all in our hands. And uh, I think the best way to put it is that for neutrals, this is very exciting to see a little three-way race to the end. For me, it is a very 
butt clenching until this season's over. And I think we can do it. Who knows if we can? We have the hardest schedule for the last seven days, but keep a lookout, baby boys. Uh, maybe we'll have something to celebrate in a, in a few weeks. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So the theme. The theme is, okay, I, I like this theme. And it was picked off of a pre-existing piece of media Adrian created. So in high school, Adrian, as a member of the like uh, logic and being an annoying pedantry club, which became space the space club. club, created a sort of TED Talk thing for the school. And his presentation within that that series of talks was superheroes of the animal kingdom. Uh, animal superpowers. Animal superpowers. And I remember quite enjoying your presentation. I thought it was the best one of the people up on stage. It was better than your friend. Was the No Not November one? (laughs) Or what was that one? (laughs) Movember? That's what it was. Movember. Yes, there was a kid who gave a presentation on Movember. That was very stupid. And then there was Mm -hmm. your friend who was a very nice guy and he was cool to talk to. But his presentation on like evolution or something, he just talked about eating doo-doo way too much. It was evolutionary psychology, so like the idea is that we don't eat poop because it would have been bad to do so in our ancestral life. Yeah, that was, uh, first off, you you know how I feel about evolutionary psychology. I think it's bunk yeah. science for racists and misogynists. I fucking hate it as a field. I have to imagine that he's changed his mind since, but who knows? Because now he does cognitive uh, psychology or neuroscience or something like that. And I get that it was supposed to be a hook that he was talking about eating doo-doo, but... I really, I couldn't get past it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get past the dookie. But yours. And then some other people did some other stuff. We had, like, somebody who worked in a local, like, NASA site came by to do something. I don't know. It was all yeah, she did, yeah. pretty forgettable. Yours was pretty good, though. Thank you. Yeah, I can't remember. I think I did a presentation about just really cool animal adaptations um, and the beauty of evolution. I think I probably had a couple E.O. Wilson quotes at the beginning. I, I remember specifically talking about the diving bell spider. I know that. It's like a spider that like makes its uh that uses like a string of web to go down from leaves into the water with like a some kind of protective bubble that like lets it breathe air while it's hunting underwater. Um I can't remember the other ones that I did, but it's just about cool shit like that that animals do, because they do a lot of cool shit. Very one to one, you can see the through line to where I ended up at this point. Animals do be doing crazy shit. People don't talk mm. about that. Uh yeah. So that was the idea of the presentation, and now we're going to turn it into a theme. Paul, favorite animal uh, facts? Any um, animals that inspire you? Was there a favorite one from the presentation, like when I talked about how dogs can play basketball? <laughs> Are you mixing up your presentation with Airbud again? Which also brings me to be. my answer to your previous question. Airbud is a animal that inspires me. It's pretty inspirational. Hmm. You know, there is... So I used to head the... Uh, Sunday sketch section of our uh, animal behavior blog. So it was literally just animal facts with an illustration attached to it. So I had a whole list of them for when we would have like parties where people would draw all the ones that I would need for the quarter. And the one that never got picked up is I think it's wombats that um can uh, get pregnant. And then because of the way their like pregnancy and births work, they can technically get pregnant again before they even give birth. So they can just be perpetually pregnant. And for some reason, that really disgusts people. And so, yeah, that's a, that would be one where I would, like, read off the list of animal facts. And, like, my largely female uh, grad group would be like, nah, nah, not into that one. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I don't think, like, of the things the animals do, that one was particularly disgusting. But, like, that's funny that that's, like, a male versus yeah. female thing that to women that just, like, <laughs> rings a little bit too scary. It's, it's a little bit too Handmaid's Tale, I guess. 
But animals that I respect. Any animal that can fly, that's kind of a superpower, I guess. Um, it's pretty sick, yeah. No cap. How do you feel about animals that like can make it onto America's Got Talent? Like a dog that's really good at doing frisbee tricks, or like a dog that can put like puzzle pieces into the right place, or uh, you, they know words where the person will be like, pick the one that's blue, and the dog will be like, ah, this motherfucker over here. Mm, I don't want to get too PETA about it, but like, if they're smart enough to do that, I feel like they should be getting the paycheck, not the trainer. Mm, at least 50-50. At least 50-50. Mm-hmm. Your take on this is that you see it as a labor issue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'm a leftist agent i don't know about you i i would say class reductionist <laughs> <laughs> yeah you think what this is an issue of uh species adrian i know this is clearly I a think, class well, issue <laughs> the way that i view this issue is that golden retrievers make a lot more money than the pit bulls do you know what i'm saying <laughs> than the black labs and i that's the way that i see this issue i was gonna say water the the insects that can walk on water that's very uh oh water striders i have yeah. a paper about those do you really yeah you read it i i think maybe i just read some of the like abstract and what you wrote in the conclusion uh are they cool or are they not what's the conclusion of the paper that uh, they're pretty sexually aggressive in a way that's not cool <laughs> <laughs> is that really what your paper is about their sexual habits yeah yeah about like uh uh, male dominant structure and, and the emergence and the timing of emergence of male dominant structures damn it it has to be the male water striders that are the wait that's that's a tip not totally atypical but that's not super common in the insect world in the insect world it is oftentimes that female or females are bigger and more dominant isn't it with female grasshoppers like they eat the male i think you're thinking of praying praying mantises praying mantis yeah and i'll say that that's a superpower girl boss superpower <laughs> Don't settle for a man that won't let you eat him when to fuel your pregnancy. <laughs> Yay, hey, girl, if you don't eat your man after copulation, you will pick me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think there's certain species of spiders that uh, after they hit, like, the midway point of their lifespan, they get a divorce and start selling, like, little bracelets on Etsy. <laughs> Is that a superpower? <laughs> or are you just sad about that one? <laughs> no, I just think that that's, like, I think, well, I think it's a superpower to take control of your life. Mm. That's cool. That is, I think, maybe one of my, uh, it's one of those, like, surprisingly funny jokes from, like, an NBC sitcom, but in Parks and Rec, where there's the, uh, Native American chief, and he has, like, the really, like, cool-looking bolo tie, and she's like, oh, that's a really cool bolo tie, and he's like, oh, thank you, my son makes them and sells them on Etsy. He's a huge disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Um... But animals that make jewelry, silk, silk bugs, uh, what else? I don't know if that counts as jewelry. What else? Pearls are from animals. Oh, yeah, oysters. But I don't feel like they made it to be jewelry. That's kind of different. But they still made something that it was appeasing to us. That was cross-species uh, appealing? Is, they don't use it in any kind of like sexual selection or anything way, right? They just, it's just like a composite of minerals? Or? Yeah, I literally think it's just like their poop. It's just like they're getting rid of shit. It's not the same thing like peacocks where like they made something to be beautiful and then we also just happen to think that it's beautiful. Birds' nests are, like, I mean, they're not beautiful in, like, a jewel or gem or, like, gold sparkly sort of way, but they have, like, a kind of, I guess it's similar to spider webs. You have those bower birds that will, like, pick up pieces of scrap, like, human waste that's, like, blue and shiny to make their nests or whatever. And then spider webs are another version of that where, like, it's not pretty in a traditional sense, but, like, looking at the intricate design of how it's put together, you can, like, find some sort of beauty. Yeah, that's another insight into Adrian's past was me doing my experiments on spiders and seeing how you can affect how they how they make their webs. 
by uh, giving them caffeine and giving them alcohol. Wait, was that inspired by the old, like, uh, the one that's like a joke image online that's like... Yeah, I wanted to see if you could actually do it. So I caught, um, I caught, a. Uh, I think they're called banana spiders or like yellow garden spiders. They're really big, but they're totally safe. Um, and I kept them in an aquarium that my dad made for me, especially like with a special top on it. And then, yeah, I just like gave them small amounts of caffeine and small amounts of alcohol. And I got a really, I only got, to, I only got it to work one time. I think I was giving them too much every time. But there's one time where I gave the spider. Adrian put a full glass of fireball down next to the spider every morning. He was like, drink up, fellas. <laughs> um, I gave it uh, the right amount of dosage of caffeine. And so I saw that it totally did affect how it made its web. But the issue was I did not have the equipment to take a picture of just a spider web. Like, I didn't know how to, like, put it, like, on a back pe- black piece of construction paper and maybe try doing that. And I remember, like, I was like, okay, cool. I can see it. I just can't take a good picture of it. But it was really cool. And I was really excited about it as a kid. But that is something where the joke, because the, the joke image we're referencing is one where they, like, sort of start with that. And it, like, looks more chaotic when it's caffeine. And then, you know, give it cocaine. And then it's like, but then we gave this one weed and it just started chilling out, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, was that joke image not based off actual research that had been done before? Did you have, like, anything, like, that really been done online that you could look at or... I I feel like it has been. I don't know. I remember at one point um, we had a whole lab meeting where it devolved into uh, my friend Cameron was presenting and he studies black widows. And we were talking about the legalization of marijuana in California and whether or not like uh, secondhand smoke affected animals. And so we went to this huge rabbit hole of like, should we do experiments where we just like puff smoke at black widows and see how it affects their webs? And I was like, I I tried this before. It's harder than you would think to do. That should be a brand new field of research. We should get, like, you know how every scientist got together to try to, like, create a, like, COVID vaccine over mm-hmm. the last few years? Like, all these disciplines got together. I think we should all get- I wasn't invited. <laughs> I don't think they needed the behavioral <laughs> ecologist's help. Um, but I feel like we should get everybody who could be involved in, like, the biology and, like, the chemical world, the chemistry world, etc., to see what animals we can get stoned in various ways. That should be the next thing society works on. I'm sure that's something that we know a little bit about, about like which animals have the receptors for it or not. You know, it's the whole thing about like how birds can't taste spice. That's why they're made to disperse like spicy seeds. Oh. Yeah, they don't have capsaicin receptors. So if if there was ever a bird on hot ones, they would just fly through it. No pun intended. (laughs) That's why Tuca and Birdie haven't been invited on yet. (laughs) Also, I heard one of them, like, got way too drunk at a party Sean Evans was at and kind of made a fool of themselves, and it's a whole thing. What parties is Sean Evans getting invited to? I bet Sean Evans goes to really cool parties. I don't know about that one. I don't you know don't about that one, so? This is anti-bald propaganda right here. You think he doesn't no, go to- No, no, I'm not making fun of him for his alopecia. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. <laughs> Paul, please don't come over here. <laughs> Adrian, what do I hear? Will Smith <laughs> comes flying through the room. <laughs> Open palm. He, he comes crashing through the drywall. All Hancock style. <laughs> um, Alright, where were we at? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> um, I will say, uh, before we get into the columns, I will say that we really concentrated both on domesticated pets because advice columns don't really like the people writing it advice columns don't tend to be asking columns about cool niche wildlife yeah they're more asking for advice around the pets they have so we both had to go a little bit less direct and a little bit more abstract with this concept of animal superpowers all right you want to get into your article 
Um, yeah, but we can do your article. Okay, cool. So my article is from Mel. We've brought this in once before with my friend Emily. Uh, this is Basic Bitch by Ian Lechlitner. Uh, it's from a year ago. And this is a question called, should I bring my dog to a protest? I made him a sign that says, I eat racists. So he's all set. Here we go. Inspired by outrage and agony, protesters inundate the streets. They march. They kneel. They chant and cheer. Occasionally, I bend down to reassure their dogs, who haul signs that read, I bite racist and Black Lives Matter. Images of pups and other pets at recent protests have earned both praise and disapproval from the court of public opinion. Some contend that pets at protests improve morale and support the cause, while others argue that they're being foolishly and forcibly put in danger. So there's a tweet in the beginning that's shown as a uh, part of the in-text evidence that uh, shows someone talking about a dog that says I bite racists uh, or has a sign that says that at a protest. Uh, now there's another tweet um, saying, uh, all of you saying dogs don't belong at protests need to hush. Pup parents know that what their dogs can and can't do. This pup is walking beautifully, holding his sign. There are always pups at gay pride marches, women's marches. This is a peaceful march. Why is this any different? And then, of course, there's another counter tweet that says, don't bring your dogs to rallies. They could be needlessly hurt. Back to the article. I don't have any issues with dogs at protests unless their owners are willingly putting them into dangerous situations, says Lou, who attended four and was taken into custody at one of the recent protests in L.A. Some marchers brought their dogs who looked very happy to be there. People even brought out Wait, their little pups. Adrian, is this an advice column? I don't really see a question to answer. So it's a bit of a hybrid uh, one, but it's kind of the same thing where they have like four experts chime in on a thing. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So this is the person kind of just setting up the question. But uh, yeah, they're going to have animal behavior experts give their take on the situation. But the question isn't really the question is basically from the person who writes the advice column. Gotcha. So while Lou encourages owners to keep their dogs away from protests where the police are clearly fomenting violence, she advocates for power in numbers, even if that includes pets. Bringing along pets and even kids show that we're united as a community, and as long as nobody's in danger, their presence keeps our spirits up and motivates us. Um, and so then it goes into the actual answers given by the experts um, on animal behavior in dogs. Um, but we're going to go from there, just trying to answer the question of do dogs belong at protests? And of course, the framing of this is that I believe that one of the major superpowers an animal can employ uh, is using their right to assembly and peacefully protest like these dogs are doing. Well, mm. oh, takes. I feel like it's probably fine to bring your dog to a protest, mainly for the reason of I really can't imagine what would go wrong with them. Like, I mean, if it's a intense protest where there's police like corralling people and people are like kind of getting confrontational with authorities, I probably wouldn't mm -hmm. go to the front with your dog. <laughs> Having to take care of your dog is going to stop you from being able to get out of a bad situation quick. But otherwise, and I mean, come on, I don't feel like people who are writing into advice columns are going to those types of protests so like yeah you're like women's march that's planned with and by the city you're gonna be fine or you're like a gay pride parade yeah you're gonna be fine to bring your dog i really can't imagine any police danger at the i mean police are part of pride parades now like police departments so i don't mm -hmm. really imagine <laughs> your dog's in danger also, I don't like the tone of the people who are against bringing your dogs to parades. It's kind of like that thing where our society just immediately goes to such a scandalized tone with everything. It's like, knock it down a notch. Like, you could actually be, like, hurting your dog. Did you know that? Like, like mm. I don't know. Knock it down. You don't need to be that scandalized. 
I'm not going to lie. I didn't read the question all the way before bringing it in. I did not realize that the crux of the issue was dog safety. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly thought it was about just aesthetics of showing up with your dog to a protest and making it seem like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Paul, I don't actually know if I've seen dogs at protest, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think I have either. But, but the problem is, like, it's segmenting in, a, in my mind between protests and parades. Because this person mm-hmm. didn't really get, do a great job segregating what the question was about because they brought up pride parades and they brought up protests. And I feel like those are two different events. And I think at a pride parade, I've seen animals because there's like booths and fun and whimsy. I think to me, it's a bit like um, the jokes I make about like kids wearing shirts about trucks. And it's like, you know, you don't you can't drive a truck. I don't think I think a dog that has a, a sign that says I bite racist is just as likely to have a, a sign that's more truthful that says I bite other races. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think most dogs are actually living this life of being anti uh, racism. But I don't know. Maybe that's just my opinion. No, I agree with you, but I feel like that also would offend people to admit that most dogs are probably racist. Hey, man, that's the first step. You know, we're all racist. We just have to admit it and confront our implicit biases. That's also up there with people who are like, children aren't racist. I'm like, have you met a child? They sometimes are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If if you were to bring a dog to a protest, what, what, what sign would you make for it? I think I would make him a sign that says service animal, please don't pet because I feel like that'd be a surefire mm. way to make sure I get into the protest with a dog and I don't want to get like hassled. And get straight to the front. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Do you think the dogs actually want to be there? Do you think they just like a crowd? Uh, I mean, it's the same thing as taking a dog to a brewery, right? Some enjoy it and some are clearly incredibly anxious and I feel yeah. like the owner should have known that their dog couldn't be at that brewery, but they dragged them there anyway. And some seem like they're loving it. They're loving the attention. They're loving all the uh, people going up to it. Oh my god. This dog bites racist. Well, then I'm safe to pet it. You know what I mean, honey? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, like I said, I did not expect this to be about dog safety. I don't know why I thought it was going to be about... The optics of bringing... What's that one really funny tweet or whatever that gets put around everywhere where it's the woman who like gets accused of being racist and she's like, bro, this is literally my dog and it's a dog with a Black Lives Matter handkerchief. (laughs) Is that a thing? I've never seen that. Yeah, really have you not cool. seen that? Oh, it's it's a it's a pretty big meme, and I, I it's just perfectly sums up what I would think of a person who brings their dog to a protest is like. <laughs> I don't know. It's hot take, but my personal opinion: anyone who brings a dog to a protest is performing a hate crime. Uh, you want to get into the answer? Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna maybe pick one or two to do. Um, but let's start with Larry McCool, owner of Mystic Llama Farm in Jefferson, Oregon. Completely agrees, which is why he brought Caesar the No Drama Llama to a recent march. Caesar can't speak, McCool tells me. He has no voice of his own. But what he does do is speak for the voiceless, those who feel they're left out and aren't represented in our society. That's why Caesar was at a BLM march and why he was able to stand for the whole nine minutes of silence on the bridge, surrounded by over 5,000 marchers. Caesar has since been hailed for the warming impact he had on protesters that day. All right. Uh, any, Any thoughts on that? little interjection from uh, the owner of a llama who <laughs> brought it to a protest. Oh, was that real? I thought that was like some sort of joke about their dog being really furry or something. I don't I don't know. No, th- this is a guy who legitimately brought a llama. I kind of like that, actually. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm kind of down for that. All right. I also love that it's the no drama llama. I love that at like a protest that's very emotionally charged. He's like, hey, 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 don't forget what the no drama llama says. <laughs> How is it bringing voice to the voiceless? <laughs> What does that mean for a llama? 
You're right. All right, let's get back to the dog focus. From the perspective of the pups themselves, Jessica Pierce, a bioethicist and author of numerous books about pets, including Unleashing Your Dog, A Field Guide to Giving Your Canine Companion the Best Possible Life, says, Bringing a dog to a protest, especially a large one, seems on the whole like a bad idea. Many, if not most dogs, would find a large, noisy crowd of strangers to be very scary, overstimulating, and anxiety-provoking. Summer heat and humidity would be another potential danger for dogs, including having to stand for long periods on hot asphalt. Dogs are really attuned to human emotions, so being around a bunch of people who are ramped up, angry, sad, frustrated, and perhaps scared could be emotionally upsetting for them. There might also be some exceptions. Some dogs are just very chill and don't seem to have sensory overload and really, really like people, but these would be in the minority. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of what we brought up. I mean, obviously a lot of people don't know their own pets as evidenced by the fact that people are constantly (laughs) taking their skittish dogs in public, but if you really genuinely know your pet and know that they're cool with crowds, then it's, yeah, you just gotta know what your pet's okay with. That was from the first tweet, right? Which I think, um, I'm not going to harp on it too much as like making fun of dog owners because I think it's the same thing that parents have. They're like, I know my dog and its limits. So you don't tell me what I can and can't yeah, do. Yeah, I know. With my it's dog, crazy because like, so many people say yeah. that and so many ple- people clearly are do totally not. wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like the meme of a gr- like somebody saying, like, oh, yeah, they're friendly. And you can just see that the dog's trying to bite everybody <laughs> within range of their mm-hmm. leash. And it's like, yeah, so friendly. I could tell. <laughs> All right, and then this is another um, pro and con opinion from Pamela Oliver, Professor Emerita of Sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, an expert on collective action, social movements, news coverage of protests, and racial disparities in criminal justice. Oliver does acknowledge, however, that there are plenty of reasons to leave your dog at home, and not only because they might get caught in the crossfire. Some people are afraid of dogs and aren't comfortable being forced to be around dogs in a crowded space. Southern police traditionally use dogs to chase black people, and there are some serious racial associations with big, aggressive dogs. A dog can get upset by the noise and disruptions of a protest and might become upset and possibly even attack a fellow protester. Dogs sometimes get into fights with each other. In a large crowd, it can be difficult for the owners to separate them. And so unless you really have a handle on your dog, perhaps leaving them at home is really the best option. Yeah, that just goes back to the other one, which if you really, truly know what your dog's like, yep, but a lot of people don't, so... I don't know. I think it, I liked how it kind of went into like the maybe it's a little bit too much of reading into it, but I think I can say from personal experience that I know many people of color who have not great associations with dogs. And I do think it's always a bit of an an imposition that white people think their dogs need to be everywhere in a way that I think can I wouldn't call anyone racist because of it. But I do think there's like a, a racialized component to it that a lot of people just kind of ignore. Yeah. All right. That's basically it. So, uh, Paul, anything, any last thoughts and comments on this matter? I think you're right that it truly is a superpower for one to make their, their make their political voice heard. Probably ready for your column. All right, Adrian, for my column, I'm bringing in a slate carrot feeding column. And my concept for this column is that, to me, every teacher is a superhero. So let's get into a column about a educational fox. I have a seven-year-old daughter, B. And we live two houses over from her best friend, Stacy, also the same age. The two girls go to school together and frequently stay at each other's houses now that everyone's fully vaccinated. Stacy's parents recently got a pet fox. This is legal where we live, although they would have had to register the animal as an exotic pet. I wasn't worried at first, but now I'm not so sure. The fox isn't violent or anything, 
But almost every time she comes back from their house, B tells some hilarious giggling story about how the fox stole food or the TV remote or a bracelet or something else and ran around the house holding it in its mouth or trying to bury it somewhere. Last evening at dinner, B tried to steal some fries from my plate and tried to pass it off as a silly joke. I gave her a lecture about how it's wrong to steal, even as a joke, and I think it sunk in. But I'm worried about the lessons she's picking up from the animal, and I'm considering not letting her go over to Stacy's house anymore. Is this a step too far? This is a good one. So, is this fox taking advantage of its role as an educator, Adrian? I, um, you, you know, I'm not going to, like, quote directly from Pedagogy of the Oppressed, but my <laughs> short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think what people don't understand is that when you are a central point in a family, you can take on the position of role model. And so at that point, what the fox has to understand is, yes, I'm hungry. Uh, Yes, I don't understand social boundaries. Yes, that bracelet is shiny and I want it to bury. Exactly. But you have to understand how that also, how that exhibits actions to other people that they're going to learn from and are those positive or negative actions. Absolutely. Yeah. And now this seven-year-old girl, B, thinks it's okay to eat off her mom's plate? Ugh. What? Ugh. A child and parent sharing food? <laughs> also, how do you... So, so wait, she said it was a joke, but she was pretending to do it, or she did it and then... Oh, she tried to steal fries from my plate and tried to pass it off as a joke. So she, she was literally just doing that. The... As soon as her hands got to that <laughs> plate, and there was a fucking just, she knife just karate in the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so funny that she was just like you know what give me that <laughs> the mom just slapped her <laughs> I, I mean on the other side of this and i think this would be the fox's response and i think it'd be appropriate the fox didn't ask to be a role model no one's ever said foxes are good role models you know mm. he's just out here being his best fox self how does this not apply to so it, okay, it's not because it's a fox right this isn't like specific fox animus like a cat or dog could also do this yeah, I guess it's like, I mean, I feel like a fox is a little bit more like your pet ferrets. Like, they, they, they're they a little bit smaller, and they like, mm. they're a little bit more playful with jumping around and grabbing things with their mouth. Whereas I feel I like cats and dogs. more mischievous, for sure. Yeah, they're a little bit more mischievous, like a ferret. Dogs are almost too dumb to be mischievous, yeah. Yeah. Their cats like are almost grabbing. too uninterested in things. Yeah. yeah. Although I could see someone, like, a kid learning from a cat that it's, like, fun to just, like, throw things off a table or something like that. I also am not really convinced about this mom's understanding that the child is learning the behavior from the fox. I, I'm not sure yeah, there's yeah. as much of a correlation. Somebody needs to teach this mom. We need an even smarter fox to teach the mom about the difference between correlation and causation. Mm. Yeah, she should tune into Fox News to learn about that. <laughs> she should search it on my favorite browser, Internet Explorer. That one's for our thinking boys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wait, hold on. Um, no, no, no rules, no ethics, no one judging you. What exotic? What exotic animal would you want as a pet? A polar bear. Really? Yeah, they're my favorite. I can see animal. them as somewhat. Really? I just think they look really. Oh, cool. so is that why you're so angry about climate change? <laughs> I think I would want something that could like fit on my shoulder. I think that's kind of what I'm into. Not like a parrot, but like a 
like a sugar glider or something like like something that could kind of just like hang out with me very like easily. Yeah. To be honest with you, this is all very hypothetical because I think even given the opportunity to own an exotic animal, I'd probably just turn it down. I don't really want a pet. Okay, come on. But number one that you would want if you wanted sex appeal, like an anaconda? Really? I think snake guys are kind of gross, but maybe if I wanted a girl who was like really pale and had a lot of tattoos. I'm kind of into that. But also, <laughs> I'm just thinking of a Snoop Dogg intern from Scrubs. who's <laughs> like, oh, love my snake. <laughs> He's got like the boa constrictor or whatever. I think I'd want to go for more like a pit bull vibe and get like a, a like a pure white tiger. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's that's the sex appeal I'm going for. My man, my man. Alright, anyways, anything back to this fox, uh about teacher fox? Yeah, this mom sounds odd. Um, is there an alternative solution to just not letting her go over there anymore? Yeah, this is one of those ones where I want to reprimand the mom too much and I need to remember. We're giving the yeah. mom advice. How does she yeah handle this situation i think my advice for the mom really is to reconsider whether the fox was the one who inspired her daughter to sneak a fry to reconsider if sneaking a fry off a plate is anything more than a cute little activity it is funny that that's her biggest point of evidence she could have just been listening to rtj at her house instead and just listen to light cheat steel yeah or uh, kill your masters Mm. What, why do the parents and this is another class issue why do the parents control the food in the house mm. not the child why does she have to ask her mom for fries why isn't there enough fries to go around why are you serving her so little that she needs to sneak one from you mother can I please have a fry no I can't give this mom advice I'm too angry I would say show her the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox and show her what a gentlemanly fox looks like, just as like a contrasting image. <laughs> That's the problem. She only has bad fox influences in her she life. She only has bad fox influences, yeah. And maybe do the opposite of your advice from before and don't play Fox News, another bad fox influence. Mm-hmm. Contrast it against another good guy fox, Star Fox. You played those games, right? I never played them. Is he a good guy? I did. He's a good guy, but he is a bit of a rude dude with a toot. I'll tell you that. It is based, it's, it's a little bit more adult. You want your daughter to have a little bit of a, well, this mom doesn't sound like she wants her to be a rude dude to have with any a edge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No. Should I read the answer? Yeah. Read that answer, baby. Ooh, calling me baby. Dear possibly overreacting. Assuming this letter is legit, honestly, hard to say. I'm going to be uncharacteristically firm in my assessment here and say that you are definitely overreacting. This fox, like countless dogs and other animals, picks up items that do not belong to him, and your daughter has observed said behavior. I do not think there is any reason for you to think that she will be influenced by such a thing, even if she made a joke about it while swiping fries from your plate. Also, Swiping fries from a parent's plate is not really akin to theft. And while I understand that you don't want her to think that stealing is okay, I don't think a seven-year-old should feel like they've done something criminally wrong for taking a few of mommy's fries or for making what sounded like a silly age-appropriate joke, one she will likely never make again after being subjected to a lecture. If you don't believe in sharing food or don't want her to feel comfortable touching your plate without permission, make that clear to her. Please don't connect fry swiping with theft nor with the fox. And please don't think that this animal is going to train your child to do anything wrong. The fox is not a bad animal. It's not doing bad things. It's an animal. You are raising a child. Be clear with, where are you hiding that child? Be clear with her about the things you want her to do and not do. 
and she won't be swayed by the cool, stealthy actions of a wily fox. Can't believe we forgot about Swiper from uh, Dora the Explorer. The disrespect. Wow, Dorley's gonna be pissed. I I really like that answer. I feel like they took a a good firm tone. Yeah, yeah, I think it was very reasonable. Slate shouldn't have their answer as comment on whether or not the questions are real or not. <laughs> That's a slippery slope for them. <laughs> yeah, not a good precedent for Slate to set. <laughs> All right, you want to get into the third segment? Yeah, set set it up and set it up and put it out. All right, so for this third segment. Since this episode is all about animal animal superpowers, we decided to move from just animal superpowers to literal superheroes based off animals. Your Spider-Mans, your Batmans, your... Antmans. Antmans. There's so many of them, I can't believe. Like, Robin. Um, mm-hmm. Is he actually animal-based, or is that just a name? <laughs> <laughs> is he not animal-based? I don't think so. He's not so. supposed to be like a Robin? <laughs> I don't think so. There's like a billion examples I've really- Raven. Raven. This is not a superhero test, Paul. Thank God, because I would fail. Who boy. All right, well, let me get to my first superhero. So we're going to pitch it like if we were presenting this to Marvel, which if anybody from Marvel is listening, this isn't just hypothetical. Please hire us to write superhero Mm. stories. So my first animal superhero is Golden Doge. Ooh. He's going to appeal to a kind of like slightly older, but not much older than us, like mid-30s up, normie memer demographic. I, I would say that's slightly older. That's more than slightly older than us, but... Okay, yeah. A, a good bit older, but not like elderly. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're elder millennials. You're millennials mm-hmm. to elder millennials. So it's going to be more like of a normie memer demographic. You're kind of like your Elon Musk, your epic Elon Musk deep fried, that face went blank. Your r slash picks redditor, your nine gaggers, your facebookers. I like how you're demeaning the people that this is for. <laughs> Just <laughs> in your I tone. <laughs> I feel like your tone is a certain <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, you know, the type of person who sends you a reaction gif in a text what, message. Whatever kind of degenerate is in your life, this is for them. <laughs> the person who uses a reaction gif a little too often while texting you and you're like, okay, Ooh, we get puts it. Them in emails. You do memes. <laughs> Okay, so the idea for the superhero, for Golden Doge, his backstory and powers are as follows. He's an eccentric but good-hearted billionaire tech genius, kind of in the style of Tony Stark. Mm. He's developing a new product that allows a person to upload their personality to the metaverse, but a rival CEO hacks the tech and brings down the firewall to the internet during the first trial run of the brain upload technology. This opens the floodgates to the internet, into the CEO's mind. Somehow he survives, but upon awakening, one meme in particular has now entangled with his personality, the Doge meme. With the new Doge personality, the comic starts as a sort of, like, comedic one. It's like an Ant-Man, where it's not the stakes aren't as high as, uh, like a Thor or something. It's, a, it's more comedy-oriented. Because he starts exhibiting dog-like tendencies. Like, when he's out and about in his life at business meetings doing things, he goes, Whoa, much chase. Treats? You know, like, a question. Like, Mm -hmm. treats? Mm -hmm. Like, please? Like, whenever he's looking at, like, good food at a fancy restaurant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, general, like, doge meme stuff. He also does things like jumping in the air to catch a frisbee while walking through the park. 
and getting freaked out by male women in like vacuums like he's at Mm -hmm. a fancy business meeting and they start vacuuming in the next room over and he freaks out basically i'm saying that we're gonna steal as many wilford bits as we can in this part of the story yeah i was about to say i'm liking all of it so far (laughs) i can really picture it but he soon realizes that his neural link is still active in his brain and he has wireless access to the internet he can immediately search any fact about anybody that's on the internet or learn any ability on the fly. So if he needs to learn mm-hmm. like a fighting move, he can like watch all the YouTube videos about it and do it immediately. He can also use memes in social media to quickly make ideas or turn media viral in the culture. He can use that to influence people to behave a certain way as part of his adventures. He soon discovers the evidence that the CEO of the rival company is the one who sabotaged him in the first place. The chase is on. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. The, the chase go- is on. The Golden Doge. It's topical. I think it has a lot of potential. Adrian. I don't see what. Let's cut to the chase. Are you buying it? I'll buy it, but using crypto. Well, damn it. That's worthless. <laughs> um, no, I liked it. I liked it. What was the inspiration for this uh, for this superhero? Elon Musk. Ooh, real life superhero. Yeah. Okay. And and I don't know. We, we I was trying to think of demographics that haven't been targeted by IRL physical media. You know the type of stuff that gets bought in stores. These people are more targeted by like the Facebook ads they see and like mm. that sort of thing. So their their space maybe like some Netflix shows have been. But really, the media that's created for them is, you know, the new Star Wars movies, uh, the mm-hmm. Ghostbusters recreations, that sort of thing. I, mm. I felt like I could create something new for this type of person. Let me ask you this, Paul. Do you think that, uh, do you think that the world needs another straight white male superhero? That is something I fixed with my next one. So I do apologize. I was thinking about that while I was writing these. So my next character is not a straight white male. All right. Here's uh, my superhero, number one. Uh, his name is Red Spot. Target audience, Gen Zers who want a fresh, more progressive take on their superhero framework. Animal it's based on. Lemenidus Arthemis Astanayax. Probably mispronounced that. That is the red spotted purple. It is a butterfly. Ooh. I actually, this is coming from a biology lesson that I made for kids uh, from my local national park. Uh, the biology of the animal. So it's a species that has two main subspecies. Uh, The red-spotted purple subspecies exists in the southern distribution in the United States, uh, where it overlaps in its geographic distribution with the poisonous swallowtail, pipevine swallowtail. Uh, So in the distribution of their area where they overlap, this butterfly has actually evolved a different color of wing to match the color of this poisonous swallowtail. Um, So it's a classic and well-studied case of Batesian mimicry. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I've only ever read a book on mimicry. Before I read the origin story, I realized I should... uh, So it's a classic and well-studied case of Batesian mimicry. Uh, Batesian mimicry meaning that it's a one-to-one. There's a poisonous species and there's a species that has evolved to look like that poisonous species in the same area. Origin story. Matthias Buterman was just your run-of-the-mill therapist until one day he decided to download Twitter to better connect with his younger clients. While in a butterfly sanctuary on a lovely Saturday morning, Matthias read the comments on one of his posts, letting him know that he had posted cringe and a yikesy take concerning the casting choices for the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith reboot. As tears emerged from his eyes, a single butterfly landed on his cheek to dip its proboscis into the salty solution dripping down his face. Matthias woke up the next morning, feeling quite different from before. His superpowers... 
Red Spot doesn't fight mad villains. He fights to make everyday people more aware of their own flaws. Red Spot has the ability to mimic the toxic traits of anyone he's able to lock eyes with for more than five seconds. He can then display these toxic traits so that the person becomes aware of the maladaptive ways in which they behave. Working one person at a time, Red Spot makes the world a better place by improving the average citizen. Future classic stories of the comic include his battles with... 1. The girl whose toxic trait is that she swears she's talking at a normal pitch, but she's actually screaming. The guy who responds to messages in his head, but forgets to text back. The girl who thinks she needs a nice coffee before and after every meal. The boy who's so unnecessarily nice to people, they always end up thinking he's interested in them. And of course, the MB who always wakes up on time, but lays in bed until they end up being late. <laughs> Wait, how, how Red- does he mimic the waking up? How does Please he mimic an end? Please save the question for the end. <laughs> Red Spot's main villain. Based on the subspecies in the northern distribution that doesn't overlap with the poisonous pipevine swallowtail, Red Spot's arch enemy is the White Admiral, who, not to malign the state butterfly of New York, sounds like he would be and is indeed racist. Time and time again, Red Spot faces off with the White Admiral to show him the harm of microaggressions, implicit bias, and using that word, even if it's just rapping along to a Chet Hanks song. The two usually come to a stalemate as White Admiral uses his trump card of informing Red Spot that racism is a systemic problem, bro. Well, that was delightful. Uh, I I would buy that comic. I do worry about how actually marketable it is to Gen Z because they don't really like their heroes to display any problematic qualities. And I don't think they care too much about like contextually, oh, he was using it to prove to the other person because that's going to get clipped Mm. out of context and just posted online. Mm. You think Red Spot's going to get canceled too soon? And I think what I was bringing up in that one point is by being toxic, by being that NB who wakes up too late or wakes up on time but spends too much time on their phone and then you miss your meeting, I don't know how he does that publicly enough for the NB to see and get the message. I mean, we got to fill up a whole comic, babe. We can figure out these ins and outs. I'm just saying saying there's an idea for a story. I love it. Personally, 10 out of 10. Oh, thank you. I'm not going to say that this is definitely part of the process, but... If you're worried about having coming up with stories, you can always just Google my toxic trait is meme and then just go to Google Images and see what you find. And that's a new episode. <laughs> some of them a little too serious. I don't know why people post those things on public forums, but some of them are pretty funny like these. All right, Adrian, for my next superhero, I'm targeting a demographic that represents upwards of 30 million Americans and 10% of our population. Yeah, I was about to say that's 10%. Yeah. A demographic that has never previously been targeted by comic heroes toddlers diabetics oh damn so this hero is panda lynn a child named lynn is lost in a bamboo forest and enters a fog within that fog she's transported to another version of earth that she quickly learns is inhabited only by bipedal panda she's adopted by a panda family in this mythical world and raised along with her new adoptive brother As a child, she has diabetes, and this panda culture does not have insulin, so she loses both legs. But they use advanced panda technology to replace them with panda mech legs. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? No, this is great. If you want to know my real answer, and I'm sure it's going to happen a lot more, you know how, like... In the, in the song Barbie Girl, where it's just like, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, there's something about adding panda before everything that makes it so much funnier. <laughs> they took her to the panda clinic to get panda legs. Her new mech legs give her panda speed and panda jumping abilities. 
Although at first, during her childhood, she had lost at all the panda activities while competing with her adoptive brother, such as panda martial arts, panda singing, and panda eating (laughs) contests, the child soon finds that eating the sugarcane in the panda realm gives her increased panda strength and increased reaction time, as well as a panda roar that frightens others. Lin also masters the panda martial arts, fighting with a piece of ultra-strong bamboo that grows only in the panda world. As Lin grows up, she yearns to find a way to return home, despite how well they have done in the panda world. She studies science, and with the advanced panda technology, manages to, on a foggy day, in the same bamboo forest, open back up a portal to the human world. Lin's supplies are her bamboo fighting stick and many sugar canes that give Lin her special powers. Little did Lin know, her adoptive brother had snuck into the forest behind her that very day to murder her of jealousy. But he gets sucked into the human world along with Lin. He has new plans now, to conquer humanity as he sees them as weak and docile compared to the superior panda race. Lin must stop her brother's dastardly plans. I'm hooked. Few questions, few questions. So wait, so she was adopted into their family, but it's her adopted brother? The brother was also adopted? <laughs> oh, sorry. Like her adopted fa- like her adopted brother as in her adopted family. Like oh, okay, okay. adoptive gotcha. family. Her brother from her adoptive family. Um, You're right. Maybe I used that terminology incorrectly, in which case I would like to apologize. What was the... Uh... You're not going to do one of those things from like the original Avengers where they make a he's adopted joke and then everyone writes think pieces about it, are you? Oh, you see, no, but this is why I'll, we'll have to, I'm also not an Asian woman, so uh, mm. we're already going to have to hire like sensitivity and cultural consultants Absolutely. for this comic. Especially so they'll, they'll smooth all that icon. over. Oh, you really wear your influences on your sleeve. I really like that it's got the clear Samurai Jack kind of component to it. It's got the Popeyes, you eat the bamboo shoes to get powerful. Uh, I'm into it, man. Yeah, I think it adds a little bit. You're, you were very right about the Samurai Jack. I wasn't sure about the Popeye <laughs> thing. Maybe that's a little bit more like uh, in yeah, the eating something to get mind. a power up is like pretty. Yeah, that's like any video game. The Samurai Jack thing was definitely intentional, as well as the uh, there was a superhero show I watched called Iron Fist, and I think he had like a mm. sort of like getting transported to a mythic world, and that definitely played into this. Oh, yeah, there's, um, oh, shit, I can't think of the term right now, but there's an entire Japanese word that means, like, a story where a, a hero is transported to a new dimension or a new realm. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't add too much details about what having the mech panda legs does for Lin. Gave her panda speed. <laughs> it does give her her panda speed. I, I didn't know if that was kind of a hat on a hat with the whole eating the uh, sugar cane, but I wanted the sugar cane thing because of the diabetes like, you know, she needs the sugar yeah, cane yeah. to kind of power up, but it's also like a little bit of a diabetes metaphor, like she needs the glucose levels to be right. Yeah, I mean, she does she have insulin or is she still diabetic <laughs> without insulin? <laughs> she's, she's still just grew up diabetic without insulin. I mean, she lost okay. her human legs, man. It's tragic. Yeah, I was about to say, she probably doesn't need more sugar. Then. Oh. <laughs> That's probably the last thing she needs. Oh. Uh don't worry about it. I think they also got that wrong in the episode of Rami wherever where they were trying to when that woman has the issue with her diabetic kid. Uh, oh, really quickly, the term I was thinking of was isekai. That's the term. But no, I, I like the representation. I think uh, a lot better than your last one in terms of uh, oh, it's kind of bringing a novel perspective to the comic. 
You you said you were going to hire someone for Asian sensitivity. Did you or did you say you're going to hire someone for diabetic sensitivity? You're right. I probably need that too, considering I clearly don't have enough knowledge. Also, I don't think pandas need like sensitivity training, but maybe like in general, it's kind of an immigration metaphor with her having to get used mm. to panda society. Mm-hmm. So there might be a little bit there. <laughs> She's like, how do I use this panda toothbrush? I've only ever used a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing I was going to say was, oh, you should get diabetics on the writing staff either way. I think there should be more diabetics on writing staffs because the child of divorce memes pretty okay. Dude, diabetics are fucking hilarious, man. The diabetic subreddit has the best memes. <laughs> They're all so fucking funny. <laughs> Shout out to our diabetes heads. Yeah, funny boys, funny boys and gals and non-binary pals. Um, yeah, no, I really like that one. I think that one would be a hit. Ready for my second superhero. Very ready. This one is not as good as my first one. <laughs> Rushed it before this episode. Um, this is a little superhero named Lady Sanguine. Target audience left-leaning comic book readers animal it's based on desmodus rotundus the common vampire bat i i didn't bring in it's the scientific name for either of my animals doge or panda it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> the common vampire bats feed solely on blood they live in caves in large social social groups in central and south america individuals and colonies can be unrelated but they still form strong social groups the main behavior studied in this regard is food sharing, in which it is super important because individuals cannot last more than a few days without food and are not always successful in hunting for blood. Uh, so what individuals will do is actually share blood with their colony mates. Uh, this is a highly studied behavior because it's studied from the perspective of altruism, and some studies have even demonstrated that reciprocation, uh, so giving blood to someone who previously gave you blood, uh, drives cooperation even more than relatedness, which is what more of the theory would predict. Origin. Melanie Lopez was just a run-of-the-mill Guatemalan college student. Until one night, after discussing the state and revolution at her local DSA chapter's book club meeting, she walked home in the dark. Looking to take a shortcut, she hopped the fence over into the complex that housed the local nuclear waste facility as well as the local zoo. Looking to take a shortcut, she hopped the fence... Looking to take a shortcut, she hopped the fence into the complex that housed the local nuclear waste facility as well as the local zoo. <laughs> as she walked through the lot, she felt the slightest nip at her neck and saw a neon green bat fly away as she swung her hands around her neckline. Melanie woke up the next morning, feeling quite different from before. Alright, so Melanie's powers, or Lady Sanguine's powers, are all the basic bat powers. Uh, echolocation, flying, and the ability to detect infrared radiation. Uh, kind of like Alien from Alien vs. Predator. More importantly, she has the ability of redistribution. She can take any excess amount of product possessed by an individual and redistribute it to those who are in need. Using her echolocation and infrared vision, she can locate those without adequate food, medicine, and shelter. Using her flying and altruistic powers, she can give those resources to the people that need it the most. Lady Sanguine does not directly fight crime, as she works, as her work focuses on fighting crime directly at the source. Her villain <laughs> is Captain Capitalism, who often uses his trump card of mansplaining that redistribution is not the definition of socialism and mutual aid in and of itself lacks the power to transform society truly you dumb lib <laughs> that reminds me a lot of the uh, saturday morning breakfast cereal comic where he explains in great detail how superman could end like all poverty and suffering by just creating yeah, yeah. infinite energy <laughs> and i like it i think we need more conceptual superheroes who fight the worst parts of our society at their source it's systematic adrian as, as as I'll say this, as a common it's a common leftist narrative that like superheroes kind of like 
have conceptually bad uh morals where it's a lot of like you see the villain's point and uh it's interesting that like the issue the solution is always just like or yeah or that like bad people seem to come from circumstances that seem understandable in a lot of these places or whatever i don't know how complete that analysis is but i will say this the only person who i would know who's combated it is someone who started off by saying i really like superheroes and that's why i think that analysis is lazy and why (laughs) i think you should think more about it um so obviously coming from a biased place. So yeah, I think comic books need more of this kind of um, superhero. The business needs more of this. And I think if there's a group of people who aren't just going to torrent all of their comics, it's going to be young communists. Because they have so much money to buy things. All right. Anything to wrap up this section? Any other questions about Lady Sanguine? No. Oh, but if you couldn't tell, she is also, yeah, I think I mentioned she's Guatemalan. So maybe the first Guatemalan superhero besides uh, Masi Menos. Isn't her name like, uh, it was Valerie uh, Lopez? It was uh, Melanie Lopez. Melanie. Uh, I couldn't find a Spanish last name that means bat, so I gave her the wolf. Because they're also night boys. That makes sense. Wait, you're telling me George Lopez's real name is George the Wolf? (laughs) Well, wait till you find out what George means. Big fact and no cap. Big fact. Not every animal is a hero, but every hero is an animal. Because humans are technically an animal. No cap. Teachers and people using their right to protest are the real superheroes. Bye, Adrian. Bye.